name is Max Rudolph, and along with Dave Ingram, we thank you for joining our Crossing Thin Ice podcast. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. We are here to educate and perhaps entertain. Humans have evolved from our time on the African savanna to flee from perceived danger, but this leaves us not trying some worthwhile opportunities. What if we better align fear and danger when choosing those opportunities? In his presidential inauguration speech, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. But I think the fear has been given a bad reputation, perhaps starting with FDR. Paralysis is certainly one of the reactions that fear causes, but there are at least two other more famous reactions, fight or flight. Fear is an emotional reaction to perceived nearness of danger. Psychologists have found that without emotion such as fear, humans are often frozen by analysis paralysis and unable to make decisions. Fear is often contrasted with danger under the presumption that emotional fear is usually wrong and logical danger is correct. Maybe. But I would suggest that's a false choice. It oversimplifies things. To address that question, let's first look at what people fear. Just as we have studied the most dangerous risk-facing insurers, Chapman University has been studying fears. Their 2022 survey of the most common fears of people in the U.S. finds the top fears are Number one, corrupt government officials. Number two, people I love becoming seriously ill. Number three, Russia using nuclear weapons. Number four, people I love dying. Number five, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. If you compare the list of fears to the list of dangerous risks, there are no overlaps for the top five. But some of that difference may be due to the fact that the Chapman survey was about the fears of individuals and our survey of dangerous risks was asking about risks to insurers. But this could be an indication that fear results in bad risk assessment. Let's look at what happened when our fears don't match the actual level of danger. There are four possibilities related to risk-taking. If our fear is low and danger is low, we will have a realistic assessment of risk and our risk-taking will more likely end up being appropriate. But if our fear is high while actual risk is low, we will tend to avoid risk-taking that might actually benefit us, especially in the risk business of insurance. This is a sin of omission, and we may well never know about our missed opportunities. On the other hand, when our fear is low and danger is high, we may end up taking on too much risk, That was the situation with the subprime mortgage securities before the 2009 financial crisis. Those securities were seen to have almost no risk, but they carried a slightly higher return than other quote-unquote riskier investment choices. Risk intelligence can come to the rescue. Actuaries should be well positioned to provide good estimates of actual danger. See my article, Three Components of Risk Intelligence, that was published in 2020 in the magazine Contingencies. 
Risk intelligence means that we use our risk education, risk experience, and risk analysis to assess the risks that we fear. This means that we apply the best knowledge available from our risk education, as well as the best analytical processes. But also, we have to remember to include our experiences, including our fears, to be sure to produce the best assessment of the danger actually inherent in a risk. Communicating the results of the application of risk intelligence is a serious challenge, especially when the audience's views are driven by fear. The experience of public health officials with communicating about COVID risks is a sobering example. Much of what they were communicating was long-established science related to a pandemic and solutions that were known within the scientific community for 50 years or more. In this case, a large segment of society had little fear of something that was actually quite dangerous, and they ignored that advice. In the end, we will need to decide whether to freeze, fight, or flee in the face of our fears without full knowledge of the actual danger. Before we move on to part two of today's podcast, we want to tell you about ARM's ERM Advisory Services. Our ERM Advisory Team, led by Dave Ingram and myself, Max Rudolph, are available to provide a wide range of support to your enterprise risk management program. Here are samples of recent projects. Our ERM team has worked with insurers to install new ERM programs and revitalize older programs that have fallen into disuse. The ERM programs are designed to be consistent with regulatory and rating agency expectations, aligned with company strategy and culture, and bring real value to company management and your board. We're happy to discuss your situation and how we might provide you with the help that you need to move forward, drawn from our decades of experience working with insurer ERM programs. Dave, our next topic is, is fear and danger. You know, this is something you've been, been talking about for a while, trying to, to understand the alignment before those. Um, why did you want to address this topic with with uh, uh, this group? Well, Max, I, I think that I'm adding the most value when I can show that uh, you should do a little bit more thinking before using the quote unquote common sense answer, uh, because that may be misleading us. Uh, if you search the internet for that title, Fear Versus Danger, you'll find dozens and dozens of articles and blog posts that all say the same thing, that fear will mislead us and, and that we need to have a cold hearted uh, assessment of danger. Uh, but I, uh, but I think that's uh, that in itself is not always right. Well, it sounds a lot like you're you're trying to take behavior and and thousands of years of evolution kind of out of the process and relying on more definable metrics, um, and that sounds really interesting uh, in terms of being able to do that. As as further background, what what drivers of risk misperception would you focus on? Well, actually, I'm I'm not trying to take that out. I'm trying to put it back in, uh, or at least legitimize uh, us paying attention to our fears. And uh, but uh, your your question about the drivers of of misperception, uh, this is something I read many years ago, uh, and it's by a, a psychologist, Paul Slovic, 
and I consider his work a classic. I don't know if anybody else does or not, but uh, I, I, I've always remembered this, uh, that, that he was looking into uh, why do people uh, have uh, fears that are far in excess of the actual danger. And, and so he came up, he, he interviewed a lot of people and he came up with these four ideas as to reasons why people would would have a, a particularly strong fear of something that wasn't quite as dangerous. And, and uh, I'd just like to take a minute, if we have it, to explain these four things. Uh, voluntariness, and these are his terms. I, I wouldn't have used this, this version of English, but voluntariness, uh, which is uh, you know, the question of, uh, did we have a choice in, in taking this risk or was this something that, that uh, was thrust on us without us getting to say, no, we're, we don't want to be exposed to that risk? Uh, dread uh, means that the outcome uh, might be highly uh, repugnant. That's his word again. But uh, and, and, and there you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, a risk that, uh, pr that results in a dread disease or, or a risk that results in a disfigurement or something uh, falls under that category. And uh, knowledge, if, if we know something about the risk, uh, we're less likely to be less fearful of it. Uh, we, we have a great capacity for believing that, 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 that we can affect the outcomes of things, uh, whether we can or can't. Uh, and that hinges on the knowledge we have, uh, which relates to the fourth point there, controllability. Are we able to uh, prevent it uh, or, or reduce the consequences uh, of a risk? So uh, that's that's Slovic's idea. So based on some discussions that we've had and, and listening to you today, I'm I'm hearing you say there's there's a simple grid that we can use to get our, our heads around this topic. Uh, when we've aligned fear and danger, you know, low to low or high to high, uh, all all is good. But but how can we recognize when we have it wrong? You know, why does this simple grid provide useful guidance? Well, the the grid I think is just to point out that uh, the fear is not always wrong, and and that there's many cases where we have accurately assessed uh, the risk. Yeah, subconsciously even, uh, and and uh, that uh, are are looking at those four factors that Slovic points out uh, leads us to to actually get a, a good answer about the assessment of risk, uh, but that uh, and, but that also though this this little chart helps you identify what the consequences are of getting it wrong. Um, if if you uh, think that the uh, if you're really fearful of something and, and are, are falling into the, the situation that Slovak's identifying there of having a lot more fear than there is danger, uh, then you're not going to take a risk and you're going to miss opportunities. But on the other hand, uh, if you have uh, uh, reasons that you are looking at the risk and saying, oh, no, I know how to take care of this, uh, when you really don't, uh, then you're liable to have taken too much risk. And, and to be uh, at, at danger there of, of getting hurt. You know, so for instance, the example of, of the uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, had huge amounts of interest rate risks that uh, for whatever reason they thought uh, wasn't going to hurt them, I guess. Um, 
And uh, so their, their fear of that risk must have been pretty low because they took an awful lot of it. Yeah, I wonder with with that one, if if they just I, I think a lot of risk risk teams fall into the habit of of what I call momentum risk management. You know, they they looked at what their risks were and had these rules of thumb last year that, that worked pretty well. Well, then situation changed, but they didn't change their rules of thumb. They didn't revisit them. So it, it, it cost cost them a, a problem. But but Dave, what what's an example where our fear may be greater than the actual danger? Well, I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here because uh, I'm I'm going to be talking about one of the risks that shows up very high uh, at the very top uh, in our dangerous risk survey that we talked about earlier, uh, which is cyber risk. Um, I think cyber. Uh, hits all four of those drivers of risk misperception. Uh, Cyber risk is not voluntary. Because we have computers, uh, we're we're taking cyber risk. And and I don't think by buying a computer, we went out there and said, oh yeah, I wanna take some cyber risk. Um, And uh, there's dread there because the the result of of a cyber incident is that uh, you, you suddenly and mysteriously lose your data, lose your reputation, lose your customer's data, something like that, all of which are, are, are consequences that you would dread. Uh, most of us don't know how the computers work that well. And, and so there is a, a knowledge issue with, with cyber risk. We don't know how the folks that are, are uh, preying on people are doing that. Uh, so, uh, and, and, and so far as controllability goes, yeah, we get a lot of advice on how to control it, but, uh, but, but generally, uh, we don't feel like we're under control with cyber risk. So I, I think uh, cyber risk generates that fear, uh, but I, I don't think the actual danger is there. If you look at any reports on how much the losses have been from cyber, uh, while it does say many, many companies have had losses, the average losses that they've had are fairly small. Uh, you look at uh, the insurance of cyber risk, which is a a new product that's that's fairly popular. Uh, most years, the the loss ratios on that are quite manageable for insurance companies. So uh, it, it it just doesn't seem to, uh, by any of the objective criteria, show up as something that's all that dangerous. Uh, but but under the fear uh, basis, it, 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 like I said, it rings all the bells. Yeah, as we were talking about this topic uh, ahead of time i went out and was able to find something the neic had put out that included loss ratios and you know the loss ratios for these cyber products are about 50 points lower than they were for you know a typical uh, car insurance company last year so it is something to to monitor uh, as as we go forward um on the counter side of that though dave is, is can you share an example where the actual danger is is underestimated in insurance and and how we can make our reaction into a, a best practice well I, I i guess uh the one that comes to my mind when you ask that is armed conflict or wars uh you know we're, it, it's really unclear how significant the Ukraine war is on the global economy because of the timing of it relating to all the other crazy things that are going on, uh, all the other issues that we're, we're facing uh, in our discussion of, of inflation, for instance. Uh, 
even though uh, the war seems to be more significant, uh, if you're sitting in Russia or Ukraine, uh, it, it is something that triggers, it, it could trigger additional wars. Uh, other autocrats in other countries around the world may see that and, and say uh, that that's something we ought to consider because historically, uh, war has proved to be a great way to distract the people of a country from the shortcomings of their rulers. So, uh, but uh, more war will be a, a huge problem for the world economy and a problem that nobody alive actually has that much experience with uh, uh, broad problems from, from wars. So uh, I, I think that's one that uh, we probably have too little fear of. Yeah, and I don't want to turn this into a, a fourth turning discussion, uh, which which it easily could. Um, so let's let's change it just a little bit uh, to be a a more generic question. You know, we we have to make decisions before we have full information. Um, that's our our reality. You know, so how do we cut through the various opinions that are out there uh, and lack of full full data uh, to actually add value? Well, I guess I, I I would go back to to the Slovak list and uh, maybe I put it up on the screen again and and ask uh, if there is a, a situation you have to make a decision. Uh, first, ask yourself: Is that do you have fear of the risks of the of the situation? And uh, and and then look at the list from from Slovak and say, well. In this situation, which, uh, uh, which, if any, of these four things apply uh, to the risk that you're looking at, and 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 that's a uh, an indicator that you may be, uh, if they do apply, that is, it's an indicator that that you may be too fearful. But then also turn turn uh, to the other hand and say, well, what are the evidence you have of the danger? You know, just like the the conversation we just had about uh, cyber risk. Uh, I, I've done cyber risk exercises with a number of companies for their ORSA. The regulators seem to want it. And uh, in, in no situation was I able to come up with a scenario that uh, fell within the range of what happened to any other company uh, that when I applied it to an insurance company uh, created a capital event uh, from a cyber incident. You, you want to do that kind of assessment as well. If this does happen to me, can it can it really produce the kind of problems that that you want to be uh, want to be reacting to? What do you think, Max? Well, I mean, keep it in mind that we're talking about incomplete information. I think there's you know a lot of financial experts get so focused on optimized results that are quantitatively based, but it's it's just not that easy. Um, reality tells us that that we're accountable for the decisions we make. So, so from a risk perspective, it makes sense to to consider what's called a, a satisfice strategy that ensures survival and a reasonable return in nearly all possible scenarios. But that's that's more from a deter, you know you can do that using deterministic scenarios and and try to come up with assumptions that just cover cover the gamut. Uh, and utilize, you know, what are called narrative scenarios. So you make sure that that all of your different assumptions are are aligned with each other. I think that's one of the problems that we're seeing now. You know, for example, with some of the universal life blocks that are are having to unlock. You know, they've got assumptions on one side of the business, but but they didn't unlock the they didn't 
test the assumptions on the other side. They looked at one assumption at a time. So, so let's move on to what what I I'm looking forward to probably the most is 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 hearing this next section. Dave, Dave, what keeps you up at night in today's environment? Ah. <laughs> Well, I, I guess um, I, I must be overconfident. There, there's a, an awful lot of things that I think I know how to manage uh, in terms of risks. Uh, but what really keeps me up is the idea that all all the things that I know uh, will be a lot less effective because we'll be experiencing a regime change, uh, a big change in the environment and, and how different parts of the economy interact. Uh, we, we've gone through these regime changes historically a couple times in the last hundred years, uh, but uh, uh, you know, the, the not 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 clear uh, when they've happened in my lifetime. You know, maybe in the '80s when uh, when we got rid of the inflation. The last time was the last regime change. I'm not sure. Um, Max, you do a lot of predictions. Uh, let's ask you the same thing. Uh, what what keeps you up at night? Are you sleeping well? Well, and I should probably. We probably should say this at the beginning of each one of these webinars that this is not investment advice, and these thoughts are are meant to stimulate discussion, not to be, you know, this is right or this or somebody else is wrong. It's more meant to to be thinking about some of these risks, and and it's amazing to me how many of these risks end up coming true five or ten years after we first first start talking about them, but. My current elevator risk elevator speech has has three index cards right now. And my time horizon is out about 10 years under the, the current context of, of government subsidization uh, and constant bailouts. Uh, it's hard, but capitalism really requires creative destruction in order to work in the long term. So, so I'm worried about, first of all, the, the high debt to GDP ratios of the developed countries of the world at a, at a time when climate change, war, and recession are all likely to need to to access reserves that, that just aren't there right now. Uh, second, I'm worried about, and this is probably over a shorter period of time, but a, a falling knife contagion scenario where, where asset prices start to fall and, and there's just no buyers, similar to the 25% the drop in, in stocks from October 19th of 87. And then third, uh, I worry about a pandemic with, with a much higher mortality rate than COVID-19 was, You know, perhaps due to uh, H5N1, bird flu, Ebola, Marburg, even even Lassa virus, one that we should be watching for. I think there's there's things out there, but everybody should have a list like that and and then talk about it, you know, and, and go back and forth and and try to help other risk teams to to prepare for those scenarios. Thanks, Max. And uh, I, I imagine if anybody didn't have a list uh, after listening to us for an hour, they'll probably start writing things down. It's not possible to react to dangerous events proactively with 100% knowledge. But risk managers can use risk intelligence to develop a process that trues up fear and danger as much as possible and improves decision making. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please share with others, like and subscribe.